and we are interrupting our regularly scheduled broadcast to bring you a special live live broadcast right outside forward radio we are joining you today from first unitarian church for a special event that has been put on by our friends here at forward radio and community control now they're hosting this awesome vegan breakfast teaching right now and uh, the food is just coming out we want to invite everyone to come on out to the first unitarian church at 809 south 4th street my name is justin mogg i'll be hosting this special live broadcast today and bringing you some of the awesome speakers from this teaching but we also want you to enjoy the vegan food, the free vegan breakfast. Can't get that anywhere else. Come on out right now to First Unitarian Church on South 4th Street, 809 South 4th Street on this beautiful day. We'd love to see you out in the community. We'd love to be out in the community here on Forward Radio. Uh, there's a bunch of great people here. Uh, and Vincent Gonzalez and Michael T. from Community Control Now are in the house. And they are helping put this amazing event together. Uh, especially Vincent Gonzalez. Shout out to him. He's been doing so much for our community and pulling this event together. Uh, it's the first time Community Control Now has organized a teaching like this, and it's really exciting to be part of it here. Uh, I had nothing to do with setting it up. I don't want to claim any responsibility. I'm just doing our live broadcast today. Excited to be here, and I'm going to step inside. Virtue Unitarian, just come on through the back, uh, through the courtyard entrance, uh, and we got the DJ going. We got the food being served. And it smells delicious up in here. I'll tell you what. Uh, <laughs> hey, Vincent Gonzalez, what do we got on the menu today? Oh, man, the good stuff here. <laughs> we got uh, everything vegan, of course, man. I got some pancakes. I got this egg uh, impossible sausage mixture. Oh, yeah. And I got some fried potatoes, man. Y'all come check this out. We'll be here till 1. Uh, it's good stuff here. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I'll let you get back to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, people are just... Uh, Filling up their plates and sitting down right now. It's going to be an exciting lineup of speakers. There's some literature available, too, from some of our speakers that are uh, here today to make this event happen. Uh, we're so excited to be a part of it here at Ford Radio. And this is exactly what we want to do as a community radio station is pull people together from around the community who are interested in progressive change. And that's what this event is all about Community Control Now started about a year ago on our station. It's been so great to have them on as a, contributing to what we do on Ford Radio and, and being a voice for the people every week here on our station. We are 106.5 FM WFMP Louisville, broadcasting to you live today from the First Unitarian Church at 809 South 4th Street. I want you to come on out right now, get some delicious vegan brunch for yourself uh, and well maybe think at lunch now i think we're i think we're moving on to lunchtime this might be a vegan lunch but it's a breakfast themed lunch so yum 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 it's all the good stuff uh we got fresh fruit and things like that you won't want to miss it come on out to first unitarian church at 809 south 4th street to take part in this community control now vegan breakfast teach-in uh who are we going to hear from today uh, we got gay adelman up coming up you've heard gay on our station of course uh, host of Save Our Schools with Dear GCP, JCPS, which has been uh, on hiatus while Gay is running for school board. She is running for the JCPS school board in District 4 right now. And well, she was telling me earlier, she's got 
she's got right-wing fascists knocking on her door, intimidating her. So uh, I can't wait to hear what she's got to say about bringing progressive change to our school board. Then we're going to hear uh, from the uh, Party for Socialism and Liberation, PSL, on the move to abolish the Supreme Court. And we'll also hear from Change Today, Change Tomorrow. I've been doing fantastic work, uh, especially in the west side of Louisville, uh, to bring the change, kind of progressive change we need to help feed people, do mutual aid, that kind of work. Uh, change Today, Change Tomorrow is a fantastic organization. You want to hear from them coming up in just about a half hour or so. And we're going to wrap it up with a brief overdose response training. I am fascinated to learn about that. Uh, This is an issue in our community, of course, people suffering from overdoses. And how do we respond? What if you're in that situation where you have a friend or family member or even come across a stranger who's overdosed? Uh, What's the most ethical way to respond? How do we end up avoiding police violence? You know, Community Control Now was formed around that issue uh, in the Breonna Taylor protests, uh, rising up to resist uh, uh, police violence and to promote community control of organizations like the police. But it's expanded to beyond that, right? Uh, Community control is about all the institutions that we interact with every day in our society and what ways can we get more community control of those institutions and uh, are sort of less at the whims of whoever's in power at the time. In a way, it's about radical democracy. Uh, In a way, it's about socialism. And that's why we're going to hear from the Party for Socialism and Liberation later today on abolishing the Supreme Court, which (laughs) we all know how destructive the Supreme Court has been (laughs) recently. And... Maybe we shouldn't cede all that power to uh, an unelected body, right? Uh, that's the kind of issue we're going to discuss today at this free Community Control Now vegan breakfast teaching taking place here in the First Unitarian Church, 809 South 4th Street. We are doing special live broadcast from the breakfast today. This is so fun. I can actually see our studio from the courtyard of First Unitarian. And it's so fun to be outside the studio, out in the community on this beautiful day, uh, making it happen here and getting people together. It's so nice to be together again after this long pandemic of isolation uh, and to you know break bread together in a sense. That's what we're doing today here with this uh, teach-in that we're going to have. Apologies to folks who are tuning in for Overtones Live. We're interrupting our regularly scheduled broadcast today for this special live discussion about progressive change in our community and to encourage you to come on out to this vegan breakfast. It is free, my friends. I don't even see a donation jar. I mean, I'm sure they would accept donations, but they're not soliciting them. This is a free breakfast for the community. So if you're hungry, maybe you already had breakfast. Maybe you want to come on out and have second breakfast. I am down with that, right? Uh, So come on out uh, and enjoy here at 809 South 4th Street, the First Unitarian Church. Come on in the back. The rear courtyard entrance is open on this beautiful Sunday. You'll see some chalk art. We got stuff for the kids, too. I I should mention that that if you've got family, you want to bring them on out to this vegan breakfast, they are more than welcome. Uh, Kids can just hang out in that courtyard on this beautiful day and do some chalk art, make some bubbles. But there are kids' books here. There's a whole table of stuff just for kids, art materials. 
this is great. Uh, you won't want to miss this. Bring your family on out and enjoy this free vegan breakfast. Amanda Fuller's here. She's just loaded up her plate. What you got on there? I don't know, but it looks delicious. I got some potatoes. I got some fresh fruit. And I have some look like a vegan egg scramble of some kind. And looks delicious. So no actual eggs in there? I don't think so. That's what I'm told. Yeah, this is all vegan. This is so exciting. Uh, we got coffee. We got... Uh, did you... There's, I think, fresh-made apple juice? Oh. Did you hear about that in that big jug over there? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't heard any reviews yet of the apple juice. That looks great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's all free and available for you here at First Unitarian. Uh, we got DJ spinning some tunes for you, too, as you eat and enjoy your meal. Uh, it's great uh, community camaraderie, getting to talk to other progressives uh, about the kind of change we need in our community. You won't want to miss it. There is orange juice. There is almond milk. There is this fresh apple juice. Uh, we got some fresh fruit, uh, seasonal berries. Got some melon. Got some... Is that mango? Ooh, and pineapple and pancakes and maple syrup. I'm telling you all... You do not want to miss this. Ford Radio is doing this special live broadcast from Community Controlled Now's first ever vegan breakfast teaching. What a great idea to pull people together around breakfast on a Saturday. Everybody loves getting together for some breakfast and and then talk about some progressive change that we need in our community, whether it's at the school board level, whether it's at the national, federal, Supreme Court level. Whether it's about helping people in the West End right here in Louisville with Change Today, Change Tomorrow. Or whether it's dealing more responsibly, more ethically, more humanely with the addiction crisis, with uh, overdose issues in our community. We're going to tackle it all today. And we're going to bring it to you live here on 106.5 FM. Or maybe you're listening on our live stream at forwardradio.org. We're so glad to have you along with us for this special day. I want to preview what's coming up a little later today. It's a really exciting day in our community. There's so much going on, and Ford Radio wants to be a part of it. And, man, we're just going to give you a little window of what's going on in our community today. Uh, Of course, not everything can be covered here on Ford Radio, but we are excited to participate later today in the Garvin Gate Blues Festival. It's taking place in Old Louisville. Our neighbors here at Ford Radio just down the road on 4th Street. Head on down to Oak Street at 5th. And in front of the beautiful historic Garvin Gate, they are going to be putting on an incredible blues show from 1 p.m. to 11 p.m. today. You can get more information and see the lineup at Garvin Gate Blues Festival. Dot com, or you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. They're using the hashtag We've Got the Blues. Uh, and Ford Radio is going to have the blues today. We're going to have a table out there uh, at the Garvin Gate Blues Festival later today. So come on out and see us. It kicks off uh, at 1 p.m. Uh, with Tailfin Cadillacs taking the stage for 45 minutes. Uh, later in the day at 2.15, Lori Jane and the 45s are going to be Rocking the blues from the stage. At 3.30, it's the Mudcats. At 4.45, Miller and the other sinners are going to take the stage. 6.15, TD Young Band. 7.30, it'll be Stella V's. 8.45, the Ben Levin Trio. 
And at 10 o'clock, it wraps up with our headliners, Cheryl Roos and the Blues Brothers. That's just one of the two stages at the Garvin Gate Blues Festival later today from 1 to 11 p.m. on Oak Street at 5th or Garvin Gate. Uh, there's also a side stage called the Info Plus stage with Zena Jones performing and the Divine Five featuring Sylvia Walders. This annual festival launched right here at the former Rudyard Kipling way back in 1988. Can you believe it? The Garvin Gate Blues Festival has been going strong since 1988. What a great institution. And I'll tell you, I've gone pretty much every year since I've lived in Louisville, and I just love the crowd, and I love the music, of course, at the Garvin Gate Blues Festival. It is one of the most diverse and fun crowds I've ever encountered in Louisville, so you won't want to miss it today. From Make plans to join us from 1 to 11 p.m. Uh, bring your lawn chair. Basically, they turn Oak Street into a huge park. Uh, the road is closed, and it, people are partying down. There are food trucks, there's going to be about 40 vendors at the festival, food and drink available for purchase, and of course, some of the best blues music being made today. This event attracts people from all over the country. Uh, it's the largest free neighborhood street music festival in Louisville, and it always takes place on the second full weekend in October at the gate on Garvin Place and Oak Street in historic old Louisville. It's just a mile south of downtown, just a mile from where we're broadcasting to you live from right now here at First Unitarian Church. The festival attracts, as I said, a very diverse audience from all over the Midwest, making it one of the largest and most recognized free blues music festivals in the U.S. Countless legendary blues musicians have performed at the Garvin Gate Blues Festival throughout the years, uh, and they help to keep Louisville's blues heritage alive. Louisville played a role in the Great Migration, of course, from the South after World War II, but it was during urban renewal when we lost a lot of our urban blues culture. The festival is run entirely by volunteers with proceeds from sponsorships and vendor sales benefiting the Garvin Gate Neighborhood Association, the historic Old Louisville Preservation District Neighborhood, the Kentuckiana Blues Society, and different charities chosen each year. So you will want to join us out at the Garvin Gate Blues Festival today, later today from 1, it kicks off at 1 o'clock, goes till 11 p.m. tonight. Ford Radio is going to have a booth there. You can come on out and meet us, say hello, and uh, get involved in our community station. Learn about making radio that matters with the people. Uh, you know, we don't have too many music programs on our station, and perhaps we'll meet some people with special passion for blues and other types of music at the Garvin Gate Blues Festival. Maybe that's you. Maybe you'd love to become a radio DJ. Well, this is your station. Ford Radio is radio for the people, by the people. We are nothing without our community. We are nothing without you. We provide a megaphone for the community at special events like this, the Vegan Teach-In Breakfast, hosted by Community Control Now, that we're broadcasting to you live from right here, First Unitarian Church. Uh, come on out right now for a free vegan breakfast. Don't miss it. It's such good time. And we're going to have some great speakers coming up here in just a minute. Uh, but yes, come on out to our table at the Garvin Gate Blues Festival and talk to us about how you could get on the radio too and start podcasting with us as well using our SoundCloud platform. Uh, we do a lot of talk radio, of course, and we do a lot of interviews. Uh, and even if you're into music, wouldn't it be great if we had another local show 
interviewing local musicians um, or local music fans about the music that moves them. That's the kind of station we are. We're here for you. We'd love to be a megaphone for whatever enlivens your passions and excites you, uh, whether it's social justice or just music that you love. Uh, Ford Radio is a place for you, and you can learn about it today at our table at the Garvin Gate Blues Festival. Coming up from 1 to 11 on Oak Street uh, between, well, right at 5th Street, between 4th and 6th. They closed the entire street. It's going to be a party. So come on out and join us. Uh, And we are getting ready to get started uh, with our program for the day. And we are going to bring you every minute of this special community control live broadcast from First Unitarian Church here in beautiful old Louisville on this beautiful day. No excuse to stay at home on a day like this. You want to get out in your community, uh, make a difference, and get to know some people, some know some fellow progressives, uh, help make the change we want to see. So that's what this event is all about. I'm excited to be here. Excited to be live broadcasting from the teach-in here. Community Control now is such a great job in our community. Uh, talking about the progressive change we need. Uh, and we are thrilled that they have organized this in-person event. Getting people together around food is always such a good idea. So we are going to share with you every minute of this teach-in. Uh, Vincent Gonzalez, of course, is working the crowd, getting to know people, uh, getting this thing organized. Uh, free community breakfast. Come on out and enjoy us with us at First Unitarian Church, 809 South 4th Street. We are here till at least one. You know, I bet this thing's going to roll till one thirty or two. Uh, and there are, as I said, there's activities for the kids. Uh, if you want to bring your family, they are more than welcome. And uh, there are opportunities to keep them entertained with books and art and sidewalk chalk and bubbles out in the courtyard. Uh, so don't be afraid to bring your kids along with you. Uh, they're going to enjoy this vegan breakfast too. Uh, and you can enjoy it right here at First Unitarian Church right now. Come on out. We're broadcasting live. My name is Justin Mogg, a volunteer at the station. Uh, you know, since we started Forward Radio back in 2017, we've taken every opportunity we can to get out in the community and do live broadcasts like this and host booths at special community events. This is one of the rare occasions where it's actually a, a Forward Radio program that has organized an event. Uh, usually we're, we're jumping on to existing community events like the Garvin Gay Blues Festival coming up later today that we will be at and so excited to broadcast from uh, for starting at 1 o'clock down on Oak Street here in Old Louisville. But right now we are here at First Unitarian Church on 4th Street. Uh, excited to be broadcasting to you live and bringing you the voices of the community. Uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe, <laughs> One result of today's engagement in our community will be some more Ford Radio programmers. We'd love to have you be one of the people making media that matters with us. You know, one thing to highlight about Ford Radio, in addition to our wonderful weekly programs like Community Control Now, which is a half-hour show. We also have hour-long programs. We even have some monthly programs like Veterans for Peace Radio. Uh, so if you're thinking, man, I don't know if I could handle making radio every single week that's a lot Uh, but i could do a a monthly program well we'd love to have you or maybe you're thinking 
I don't know that I'm ready to commit to a weekly program, but I could do a one-time thing. Well, then the access hour is always here for you. You can come to our studio uh, and do a hour-long program with us where we take care of all the technical side of things. You don't need to know anything about radio. We'll handle all those details. We just want to get your voice behind the microphones. Uh, maybe you've got a community that you want to highlight. Maybe you've got part of our local culture that you think needs more attention. You need to, needs a megaphone. Well, we'd love, we'd love, love to get you on an access hour. And we also use the access hour as a platform for new programmers who are just getting started and producing some pilots of their programs. Uh, we can broadcast those pilots immediately through our access hour time slot. I'm sure longtime listeners will have heard some of those great pilot programs that are just getting started. You can always listen for those on our access hour, uh, which have three broadcasts throughout the week. Uh, you can always catch the access hour every Wednesday at 2 p.m., uh, every Thursday at 11 a.m., and every Friday uh, at noon. Uh, and that's the access hour every week. A block of time on our broadcast schedule that is just open to the community. Anytime anybody wants to get on the air, make that uh, brief commitment to produce some radio with us. Uh, and maybe it'll get you excited and you'll want to do a weekly program with us. Well, the door is always open to you. There's plenty of time on our broadcast schedule. Uh, we fill our broadcast schedule with the local programming, but also national programming from Pacifica Radio Network. Ford Radio is a proud community partner in the Pacifica Radio Network, which has such a rich history. started way back in the 30s, I believe, out on the West Coast, uh, a network of progressive community stations uh, on the West Coast in California and beyond. It has now grown national, and it is such an important influence and has birthed such amazing programs like you hear here on Ford Radio, like Democracy Now!, like Letters and Politics. These programs come to you thanks to listener support, and so does Ford Radio. And when you donate now at FordRadio.org, you're supporting the station, you're supporting the Pacifica Radio Network, keeping this independent, community-controlled media alive. Uh, we're so excited to have that available to you in our community now. You know, when I first moved to Louisville in 2009, I realized there's no community radio station in this town. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and we have come so far when the FCC opened up some licenses to low-power FM stations like ours. So looks like we're about ready to get the program going. Uh, Vincent is coming up to the lectern here at First Unitarian Church. Uh How's the food? How's the food? Oh, man, you never, like, make something, and it's like, <laughs> I made that? Like, you're just, like, out there, like, I, there's no way, there's no, no way. way. Who made this? <laughs> it was me, yeah, yeah, it was good, but no, food's just tight, the vibes are tight, man. We're having a good time. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, so come on out and get it right now at First Unitarian Church. Uh, it's delicious. It's available for you. It's free for our community, and uh, it's going to feed the mind, and our speakers are going to feed the soul and feed the brain uh, with a little bit about progressive change. So uh, we don't want you to miss it. Come on out to First Unitarian Church right now and load up on some free vegan lunch. Uh, Vincent's an ethical vegan. Uh, people go vegan for all kinds of reasons. As we heard earlier in the year when Forward Radio did a live broadcast, 
from the Bluegrass Veg Fest and talked to all kinds of people in the plant-based diet community uh, from around the state. Man, that, that event drew so many people who are excited about plant-based diets. Uh, and, you know, Vincent's been doing this for years, too, realizing the impact that modern industrial agriculture and animal farming has on our environment and on all peoples. And so uh, we're going to bring the music down and get our program going here at the Vegan Breakfast Teaching here at First Unitarian Church. How we doing here? Hey, thanks for coming out, y'all. Yeah, woo. Yeah, it's good stuff here. Um, my name is Vincent Gonzalez, Community Control Now, and um, glad that y'all came out here, put on for the community, eat some dope food. Hey, what's the food talking about? What's that? That egg sausage? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Let's go. Snap, snap. Let's talk about that uh, apple cider. That was, yeah, that was, yeah. Okay, let's talk about that for a second here. Um, so, we just want to like highlight different people in the community who are putting in the work, you know, promises made. Uh, a lot of this came from the Breonna Taylor uprising. And uh, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? This is like, um, you know, our version of keeping it going, you know, and, and doing those things in the day to day. You know, it's, you know, going out in the streets saying F12, that's one thing, you know, but it's like the work that goes on beyond that, you know, that's what we're really trying to do here. So uh, hoping that we can get like a lot of uh, really dope people in here, man, learn from each other with everything. Real quick, like to do a quick little moment of silence, man, for uh, all our people, man. Freedom fighters who are no longer with us. Chris Wells, Travis Nagee. Um, just put on for a couple seconds, man. We wanna uh, keep keep uh, persons who do this work in mind. What we think of that. Thank y'all. So, as it says on the flyer here this is a vegan event so I'd be remiss if I didn't preach to y'all down the doors closed so we got y'all locked in but um no we want to talk about it and uh my homie Alex was just gonna put a little something on real quick about our experience with veganism we was throwing down food not bombs um and just looking at it uh you know in today's political landscape it's kind of thrown around like a football. People kind of use that term. It's you know it's it's passe, but in in a ethical framework of what it means to have compassion for other sentient beings. So just gonna put on a little something that uh, I wrote about it. So um, I was an off and on vegetarian vegan for like ten years. Prior to this, you know, watch some spooky Netflix documentary, get scared, you know what I mean? And then I'm like, oh, I gotta do something. And then, um, and then it's right back to it because, you know, the, uh, the food industrial complex doesn't set these things up for us to, uh, you know, doesn't make it so where it's accessible. And, you know, in particular, in blighted areas, I like that term food apartheid, you know? It's, it's, it's by design that Things are, things are um, carried out in such a way. Um, so, was doing it mostly as a diet, and it didn't really click for me until I realized that 
Um, well, that's the nature of things. You know, you start and stop, figure it out along the path. And also, veganism is not a diet. It's an ethical framework that seeks to end the exploitation of all sentient beings. All right, so anybody who knows me in here, you know I don't shut up about it. Uh, but, um, you know, just wanted to give a little clarity on um, why this is a lifestyle that I've chose and what's been able to, uh, you know, some of the benefits that's been able to give to me in my life. Um, I like to call it a tri-variable. three main reasons why uh, I'm a vegan. Number one, it's bad for your health. Consensus nutritional science has proved that many of the top 10 killers of American heart disease, certain cancers, diabetes can be arrested and in many cases reversed by greatly reducing and or eliminating the consumption of animal products. Okay, so, and I think about my people, man, marginalized folk here, um, the notorious food apartheid system that we're under and been subjected to has caused a lot of health disparities and we have to think about that as it pertains to justice and what do people deserve in this life? So um, it was kind of like a, uh, a repel against a white supremacist capitalist superstructure in so many ways. You know, it's, just, it's beyond just the food we eat. It's like how we experience our environment. Number two, bad for the environment. If you care about this planet, you have an obligation to examine the role that animal factory farming, the animal factory farming industry plays in the destruction of the planet. Of all the stats that they got out there, you know, you get one of them spooky Netflix documentaries to get you in. But um, this is the one that kind of set out to me the most. Um, you know, typically they say, okay, save the planet. They tell you go ride a bike or something. Combine every, all the, the greenhouse gas emissions of every mode of transportation on Earth, and it only equals up to 75% of the factory farm industry. Okay? So, like, we have to once again, examine how we, you know, what role we take in these things and, um, you know, be critical about our stewardship to the land. You know, we gotta, we gotta be in sync with it. You don't give one planet, so bad for your health, bad for your environment. And number three, I had to examine the fact, and this is why it took me so long to kind of start and stop, man. I had to examine the fact that I was eating animals and I'm an animal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, real talk. I know, you know, I know science isn't a high primary in Kentucky, but you know what I mean? Just putting, I didn't, you know, I had to put that two and two together on that. Like, man, I'm an animal and I'm eating animals. You know what I mean? So it's like, if I call myself principal, you know what I'm, these things mean, you know, these words mean something. If I call myself principal in my fight against unjust and oppressive systems, I have a decision to make about the role in which I partake in it. All right, I decided to dedicate the rest of my life to the solemn task of ending, ending needless suffering wherever it may lie. All right, so this is a quote that I got. Um, who's your man? Who's your man from Facebook? Tamil? Yeah, I'm gonna credit, I'm gonna credit uh, them on this, man. So I'm not trying to do the animals the way white people did my ancestors. So I had to sit on that, man. and. Um, I leave you with the words of a vowed vegan and liberationist, Dr. Angela Davis. I think there's a connection between the way we treat animals and the way we treat people who are at the bottom of the hierarchy. I sometimes am really disappointed that many of us can assume that we're these radical activists, but we don't know how to reflect on the food that we put in our bodies, and we don't realize the extent in which we are implicated in the whole process of capitalism and by participating uncritically in the food politics offered us by the great corporations. 
great in quotation marks. I think it's a part of a revolutionary perspective how we not only discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how we can develop compassion, compassionate relations with the other creatures we share the planet with. So I'm um, going to put on, my homie Alex is going to put on to, uh, you doing like the ethical framework of veganism? I'm going to say a few words. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're so relaxed, man. I got to like, yeah, get, get on yourself, but you got it, yeah. I've been, I've been cooking pancakes for an yeah. hour and a half, so if you see. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not bragging. Yeah. No, but uh, it is the longest I've ever cooked pancakes before. Okay. So, well, thank you, thank you. And so, yeah, if, if you see, I'm typically not covered in, in pancake batter either, so. Uh, typically not. Typically not. Um, I'm just going to say a few. I'm just going to add on a little bit to what Ben said. I, I came to, to veganism as an anti-capitalist, and I see uh, lots of different. I think I see some labor shirts out there. I think I see some different community shirts. I'm assuming a lot of people in this room are critical of capitalism, uh, <laughs> to say the least. So, I, so I, I came to veganism as um, an anti-capitalist, as someone who was thinking about human liberation movements. And for many years, I didn't think about the aspect of how we humans treat other animals. And it's interesting, I wanted to just uh, talk a little bit about what Vince said about the, the word animal. Um, yes, human beings are in the animal family. We're, we're mammals. We're related to lots of different animals that we see every day, right? Raccoons, squirrels, our dogs, our cats. We're in the same, we're in the same animal family. But we use that term, which I believe is an extremely socially constructed term, to define other individuals, because anim fellow animals are individuals, as having less moral relevance than humans. So I think it's a, it's a very anthropocentric uh, viewpoint. And also, uh, white nationalism and white supremacy movements have always defined certain groups of people as either animals or animal-like, whether it's uh, LGBTQ plus people, women, disabled people, people of color, etc. They've all been defined as animal-like by white nationalists, white supremacists, and you hear it today. You hear people on AM talk radio are Trump supporters or Trump himself. They, they say the word, these thugs, these animals. You know, they, so the, the term is still used to describe individuals, whether human or not, who have less moral relevance. And I think that's a key component of veganism. That's why I came to veganism. And I don't like making too many assumptions, but I do assume based on the anecdotal interactions that I have with people that most people don't actually know what veganism is. They think it's this bourgeois consumer choice, and there is a version of that which it is. There's, there's, lots of, uh, there's lots of affluent white folks that tell people that they have to eat a certain thing and that this is a dietary thing. Vince already elaborated on that, that it's not only a diet. And I really like, it's not a, it's not a complete definition, but the first group, the vegan society, that, that used the term veganism, there, there have always been vegans, but the first group that actually started to call themselves vegans, they, they used this definition, and I, I want to add a little bit to it because I don't think it's perfect, but I do like it. There's some critical phrases in it. It's, it. It states that veganism is a philosophy and a way of living which seeks to exclude as far as is possible and practicable, and I think those are key components. All forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose, and by extension promotes the, the development and use of animal-free alternatives for the benefits of animals, humans, and the environment. In dietary terms, it denotes the practice of dispensing with all products derived wholly or partly from animals. 
So I think the, the, the key phrase is practicable and possible. A lot of people say, I can't afford to, to do this or I can't do this medically, or I don't have a lot of choice in my, whether you're houseless, you're, you're poor, whether you're a prisoner, uh, whether you are disabled, whether you're living on social security. So there's lots of reasons that you have, a, a, there's a spectrum of choice in what we consume and what we wear obviously as humans. So if you have more privilege, obviously you have more choice. And so that practicable and possible phrase to me is key. You don't necessarily, it, this sounds contradictory to people, you don't necessarily have to eat 100% plant-based diet even to be a vegan. If you're about the abolition of what we call speciesism, speciesism being the, the, the oppression that affects individuals based upon their species, saying we can unnecessarily use this species for food, but we don't use this species for food, et cetera. So if, if, you're, if you're interested in, in trying to abolish that and you're interested in, in, in a politics that is, is interested in organizing around that, pressure campaigns, et cetera, that's veganism. It's not just what we do in our daily lives, which focuses as a, as a boycott of sorts. It's, it's a lot like the, uh, I, I also, I, I observed the, the boycotts, the boycott and divestment and sanction movement to, um, in regards to Israel-Palestine, if you're familiar with that. And, and I, I look at it as, we, we don't only uh, boycott products that are made in the occupied territories in Gaza and West Bank, et cetera. But we, if, if you care about that, you also do other work about organizing and standing in solidarity with Palestinians. And veganism is much the same way in that regards where the, the aspect of extricating yourself where you can, where it's practice, practicable and possible, from those systems of domination that hurt other animals and exploit other animals in every capacity. It's about doing what you can. Uh, so I, I just wanted to say a couple notes on that and let's see what else we can stay here. Yeah, so another term that you might hear vegan, vegans use, um, particularly anti-capitalist vegans that are interested in the broader scope of, of collective liberation, we use the term total liberation a lot. And what that means is it's extending um, anti-capitalist, like in many senses, um, either a socialist, anarchist, or Marxist point of view, to also ecology and to, to fellow animals, to other animals. So it's about extending those principles that probably a lot of people in this room are familiar with, that I just mentioned, those liberation-based uh, philosophies, to fellow animals and the environment. So we use that term. And I, I would just say that, that there is, like, like I talked about in the beginning, there is a version of, of what people call veganism, which is alienating to a lot of people. And I think that a lot of people on the left know that version and they dislike it. And I dislike that version of it too. But when they hear it, they think that's what veganism is. And they think people are trying to, uh, to gatekeep them and, and, uh, and tell them to go buy expensive foods. And that's not at all what veganism is. So I just wanted to say a few words about it and talk about uh, what, what veganism is and isn't. And the notion that, that veganism is really something that is accessible to all people because the very basis of it is about what's practicable and possible and extending a view of collective liberation to, to other sentient individuals, not just humans. So that's all I have to say. And um, if anybody wants to talk, I'll be here for a while about it. I know, it's, uh, I know probably a lot of people in this room are skeptical of veganism, I would imagine. I would, I, I would imagine that. So if, if you want to have an individual conversation with me, I'm happy to do it. So I'll be around for a while. Thank you all very much. and it's really important, but what I'm going to try to do is talk a little bit about a lot of stuff, and if there's something in particular that resonates with you that you want to talk further, um, my card is all over the room. If you didn't get one, there's also some at the back of the room, and there's some uh, flyers and stuff at the back of the room, too, that uh, will be, I believe, um, behind, and if anybody's interested in any of these suggestions or requests, um, 
please help yourself. Um, I am going to have to scoot out as soon as I get through talking, so I don't want anybody to think I'm being rude. Um, I'm headed to Frankfurt to participate in the uh, Rally for Women, and I'm calling it the Rally for Women and Anyone Who Can Get Pregnant, um, because they are coming for our, for our bodies, and they don't stop with just one or the other. And um, so I'm, I'm a speaker there, and so I'm going to need to head out as soon as I get through talking. So I really do appreciate you, Vince, for inviting me. Um, uh, everybody here that I've had a chance to talk with, thank you for your time and for sharing uh, your concerns and your experiences with me. Um, I am running for JCPS school board, um, so I know I look a lot like a politician, um, but I want to tell you a little bit about my background. Um, uh, I'm an activist, but I'm not even an activist by choice. I'm, I'm a PTA mom. I came to this um, movement work as a PTA mom uh, at Shawnee High School. My son attended Shawnee High School from 2012 to 2016. And uh, I live in the East End, so I'm running for school board out in Northeast Jefferson County. Um, district 3 is the district. James Craig is my school board member now. I voted for James. I endorsed James. I run an advocacy group that focuses on public education, and we really believed that James was going to get up there and vote in our best interests. And, and represent uh, the needs of our community. And um, sadly, that's not been the case. And there's just too much at stake for us to sit back and wait. And so this PTA mom is taking the bull by the horns. And um, I'm running for office. So please don't think of me as a politician. I know that's hard to do when I am one. And I have to face the, uh, I, I have to acknowledge the fact that I am one. And sometimes that's hard because um, even today, people won't take their pictures with me and things like that. And, I just want to be part of the party. But anyway, um, there is an important election coming up, November 8th. You guys know that. Um, there are four, candid four candidates running for the four open JCPS school board seats, and all four of them have a fascist candidate running. They are backed by out-of-state, special interest, dark money groups. I filed a 42-page complaint with KREF, the Kentucky Registry of Election Finance, documenting some of these um, charades and scams and connections, connecting dots. They're, they're getting quoted in the media, looking like they're legitimate concerned parents when they're really the, the granddaughter-in-law of the guy who runs the SPLC designated hate group, American Family Association. You probably have heard of Frank Simon. So um, one of his employees was one of the speakers at a board meeting and WFPL played her entire anti-SRO speech without ever once telling us that she worked for a hate group and uh, never even represented the other perspective in this article and even uh, misrepresented how the, the disruption took place that ended up shutting down that board meeting in October, if you may recall, at Central High School. Uh, there was a board meeting that was shut down and there's a picture of me in the paper pointing at the white woman that came and sat in front of the families that I was there with. There were over 30 people that had signed up to speak that day. Authentic students, parents, community members with valid concerns on both sides. Both sides had speakers signed up. I wouldn't say both sides had valid concerns because there is a, there is a propaganda out there. There's a dog whistle out there. And uh, they're using it to gin up their base and to recruit people to who knows what. 
who knows what they're capable of? We've got uh, the January 6th investigation taking place. We've got indictments coming out. We've got people getting arrested. Um, we've got an election that they may not like the results of and may think that they'll just wait for this electoral decision to, to be made by our Supreme Court, which is on the docket this week, by the way. People need to be paying attention to what's really at stake and that they have a pathway. They have a pathway, and JCPS is a linchpin. Jefferson County Public Schools is a linchpin community. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about why there, but I want to see a show of hands. How many of you here have students in JCPS or graduated from JCPS? Raise your hand, please. All right, and then the rest of us probably at least live in JCPS district, live in Jefferson County or nearby, and this is a national uh, attack, so even if you don't, this still applies to everyone in this room. Um, Jefferson County is the largest district in the state. And in fact, this card that you have at your table, it's an invitation to a conversation, a community conversation that I'll be hosting on October 16th. And on the back of it, it says why it matters. And so some of the things I'm gonna say right now, you can take with you and look at again. You don't have to write it all down or, or memorize it. But Jefferson County is the largest district in the state. Um, Kentucky, is the largest state in the country that does not yet have charter schools, vouchers, and other predatory practices in place. We've managed to stave that off. It wasn't, it wasn't just good luck. It's, a, it's been a lot of work. For the last 10 years, um, I've been a witness to and even uh, a participant and sometimes an organizer and a leader in that work. And uh, I saw what was coming to our schools back in 2000 and well I didn't even understand what it was when I started fighting it to be honest with you but um, I think what I did I think I thwarted a charter school takeover of Shawnee High School because everything I did to try to make that school better marketing is my background so I just wanted to build a website like the things that I wanted to do to try to, to turn the school around because that's what they claim they wanted to do they fought me every step of the way the teachers union has leaders in it. The, I love the teachers. I love the teachers union. I want to say that real clear. But there are people in the organization who control all the levers behind the scenes, and they are not on our side. They are not on their side. There have not been free and fair elections in the, in the teachers, unions, teachers union for about 15 years. And every time members try to organize it and take their power back, it gets derailed because the president has the, the control of the software, and he says who won the election, and then that's just the end of it. And um, there have been, you can Google botched BSK election if you want to see a time when we actually documented it and they investigated themselves and they said they did nothing wrong. We, yeah. We've heard that story before, haven't we? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's going on a lot in Jefferson County, not just with our police, not just with, the, with the, uh, some of the union leadership. I'm not even going to say all, I'm not saying all unions are bad. I'm saying that there are people that power corrupts and it, it's happened and we have to acknowledge that because we will get to a certain point in our work that we're making a difference and we're doing good work. We had 10,000 teachers in Frankfurt storming the Capitol. I don't want to say storming the Capitol because we weren't storming the Capitol. But it felt good. It felt good because we were exerting our, our constitutional rights to, to assemble. We were using our voices and they shut us down. Not only did Governor Bevin shut us down, but the, 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 the leadership in some of these organizations actually held a 45-minute press conference and told their members in the community not to listen to the rogue groups. Have any of you ever been called rogue? Sound familiar? Outside agitator. Yeah, all of that stuff. So, you know, you're going to hear things about me. You're going to hear people that say, oh, gay's trouble and gay, you know, don't trust gay and whatever. Those are the people that I probably 
um, exposed for doing some things that they shouldn't have been doing. And so I, I, I ask you to just go to my website, follow some of the breadcrumbs that I've posted out there because I, don't, I keep receipts. I have so many receipts. And like I said, I filed that 42-page uh, complaint and uh, they got a, three different, uh, I guess they're all PACs. You guys know what a PAC is, right? Political Action Committee. Um, the money that's being spent is dark money. The candidates themselves have to, have to follow much stricter guidelines. And um, three different PACs were involved in the, in the report that I turned in. Two of them were uh, with ties to fascists. And I, call, I mean, people don't like it when I use the word fascist. I think I'm safe in this room to use the word fascist because you all know that that's what this is. And, um, but it, it hurts white people's feelings. <laughs> So uh, I have to, that's why my card, the host of my party actually had me take the word fascist off of my card and change it to right-wing extremist. So that's why it's a little soft. Um, but um, I just want to make sure you know that there are four open seats. And um, so not just in my race, but in all four races, we have to make sure that we show up at the ballot box. And I do believe that word of mouth is, is possible. We still have four, more than four weeks to tell people what's at stake and uh, who the dangers are and how to spot them and who they should vote for instead. And like I said, I think Louisville is the linchpin because we are the largest state in the district. If they, they've, been, they've been coming for Kentucky for 10 years, more than that, really. They've been putting their people in place. Matt Bevan, his hedge fund partner, uh, started Bluegrass Institute for Public Policy. They're still a think tank that chimes in every once in a while. Um, and they're a hedge fund. We know how bad hedge funds are. Um, so um, they're still here. They just get different people to represent them. They pay off different people. We were talking about how there are people that are taking money and they look like us and they get alongside us and we're running and doing all the things we need to do. And then not only do they bail on us, they do this, right? They trip us. They throw us under the bus. And we have to be able to avoid those situations in the future because there's too much at stake and we don't have the the, the spare time and resources and all those things. So um, when it comes to votes at the board level, we usually have about a four to three. When it comes to the important decisions, it's usually divided by race. It's usually the three black board members and Chris Cole voting one way and the, three white the other three white members voting the other. But that's been enough of a margin for us to, to, to keep our community safe when, when, the, when COVID was here and it really mattered, right? Um, if any one of those four seats gets taken over, our margin will be gone. I'm the only candidate on the ballot that's running against an incumbent where I'm the progressive. In all three other races, uh, the incumbent is the best choice. My race is the only race where the incumbent is bad news. He's already shown us that he will side with the fascists when they show up in numbers of 100 or more. And last I checked, there's more than 100 people in our district, 100 people of privilege, mostly white, who can just do whatever and come and demand that they don't want their children to wear masks. And even though they could get a note, they could simply get a note if they don't want their children to wear masks, but they want to take those masks away from everybody. And regardless of how you feel about masks, we have to err on the side of caution, especially for a population that is majority, uh, majority non-white. We have to listen to our families that are non-white. We can't let the white families just keep showing up and making all the demands. And then we, you know, we give in to their, and I'm, I'm in Northeast Jefferson County, that's my district, so as you can imagine, the things I'm saying right now don't sell real well in my part of town. So again, that's why I need people to tell my story for me 
and get that word out, word of mouth. So on the back of the table, I have a sheet that I call my 10 Friends Challenge because I don't have the dark money that they have. There's a group out of Texas that's endorsing the four uh, extremist candidates. And then uh, the teachers union that I already told you what's problematic about them, they're endorsing the incumbents in all four races, but they're spending five times more money on the white incumbents than they are the black incumbents. Why? How? Why is that not a big deal? Because the black incumbents generally tend to vote with us. So I guess they don't care if those votes get erased or replaced, those board members get replaced. So um, we just have to, I have to be able to show you what to look for. That's what I'm trying to do on my website. So that's why I said go to the website and look for the, for the breadcrumbs and then do your own research because the truth speaks for itself. This is not one, you know, their side, our side. There's good guys and bad guys on both sides, no. There's a right side of history and a wrong side of history. We're on the right side of history. We just need an opportunity to get our, get our message out. That's how we're going to change people's hearts and minds and um, change the outcome of this election is to just spread the word. And if Trump's army is successful, it will mean even worse for us. Um, we already lost bodily autonomy. Um, so there's an event, like I mentioned, the card, um, October 16th is a, what is that, a Sunday? Sunday, Sunday. Four from 4 to 6. It's in the Wildwood neighborhood up in, uh, not by the golf course, but up off of Hurstbourne and um, Shelbyville Road. There's Wildwood neighborhood. It's at a lady's house that's hosting it for me. So if you can come and you can bring some friends and let's have a deeper conversation about some of these things that I brought to your attention. My, num my phone number is on my card. Feel free to call me or text me with further questions. If you're willing to put a decal on your car and drive around town, I got pink because one, it, I love pink, um, but also because I'm a woman. I'm the only mom in the race. I'm the only person on the ballot who can speak from experience about pregnancy and my, my decisions that I've had to make throughout my time. But pregnancy will also affect our students. Our students, nine and 10 have sought abortions in the past. They will be forced to give birth. And, and what happens to them? Will they, will they drop out of school? Will, they, will we need to put more funding in the TAP program? What about curriculum? We're gonna have some important curriculum decisions to make. Instead of banning books, that, like that's what they wanna talk about is the things that aren't even relevant. We need to be talking about making sure we keep all of these books in our schools and then some. We need to be teaching medically accurate, age appropriate, sex education. Comprehensive. Comprehensive. That's the word. I was like, I know there's another word I want to say. Thank you. I get nervous up here. Thank you. Absolutely. And uh, another thing I want to just, there are some things that are so alarming, but we don't get to talk about them because they're always hogging all the microphones, right? And I feel like I'm doing that right now, too. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up soon. But I want to, um, I want to show you a couple of things we're doing. We're doing a book drive. So that's another thing that's at the back. We're going to be promoting Chalk It Up's toy drive, their Christmas uh, drive as well so you can bring new Christmas type presents so books clothes toys and we will gather them for chalk it up plus books that we're taking to eastern Kentucky on October 22nd for the schools that were uh, affected by the floods so uh, there will be a caravan send-off I'm calling it a book band caravan but I don't want us to call it that too loudly just yet because we don't want Eastern Kentucky going, we don't want them or anything like that just yet because you know the other side will tend to talk things and make it seem worse than it really is. 
Um, but there are books that are being banned right now that simply have diverse lead characters, and that's all it is about them, or a, diver or a, or a minority author, or you know, the Ruby Bridges story is being banned in some places. Ba Black History Month is being banned in some places. This is a dangerous slope to fascism. That's exactly what this is. So I really need your help. I need your help in getting the word out. My initials are GPA, so that's pretty easy to remember, GPA for JCPS. Um, share my posts on social media. And um, let me just, if you don't mind, let me just look at my notes and make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Ah, it's a lot, man, it's a lot. So um, the, the deadline to register to vote is October 11th. It's also the deadline to drop off books at any Highland Cleaners location. There's 12 of them around town. That's where you can drop off for the book drive. And then, like I said, October 22nd is when we're going to take off. We're also looking for new and like new school supplies because our friends in uh, not only in eastern Kentucky, but it, books and supplies that we have left over will also go to western Kentucky tornado victims because they're still recovering. I, I also run an organization called, I don't think I even mentioned, I, run, uh, I started a group called Dear JCPS in 2015 and Save Our Schools Kentucky in 2016. And that's the real reason I'm running is because I've been doing this work and I've, tr I've discovered that they deny you access to open records. Even though that's the law, they don't have to give you everything. They don't tell you the truth or they, they conveniently um, manipulate the data so that what you get doesn't really help you. Like I've been asking for how much we pay out on settlements and they say they don't keep that. How can you not keep that? It's a, you have to write a check. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in a budget. Right. It's in a budget somewhere, and I'm a taxpayer, and I feel like I should. So I'm, it, it may be, I, and maybe I still won't have access to that information, but I'm sure as heck in a better position to demand things and make public statements and, and get, make the public aware of what's really going on if I'm on that board. So um, do you want to have any questions or anything, or is it good? Didn't you organize a teacher, like a work stoppage a couple years ago? I'm very <laughs> about this. How many days did you get them off? I'm I, we were just talking about that. Though. I think it was 2017 and 2018. I think we had seven full days that we were in Frank, not, not consecutive, because we were strategic. We knew what bills were coming, and they were paying attention, and we would get on social media, and we would, we would say this is what's on the agenda, and then the next thing you know, they'd start calling in, and they can request subs. And when they knew they didn't have enough subs to cover the district, they had to shut the whole district down, and that happened seven times one year. I think that was, I don't even remember what year that, what order it all happened in, because it's a blur. I am writing a book, though, and it, because we got to tell our history. We got to tell the real story of what's happened. And like I said, I keep receipts. So, you know, they can tell me it's not true, and I'll be like, what else did you have to say? So, um, do you want any uh, time for questions or anything like that? I'm headed to Frankfurt. If anybody wants to go with me, I got room in my car. <laughs> Thank you. So much. Thank you. Also, one more thing. So these are books, book bags we're going to be giving away uh, at the book, at the book band caravan send off. And this is a flaming pile of poo. Oh. <laughs> official. It's official. It's really just a silicone poo uh, that I got through Amazon and these LED candles, so nobody's going to get anything burned down. But this is an idea that we're having for a fundraiser uh, through probably through Dear JCPS. I don't necessarily have it through my campaign, but. Um, you can buy one of these and have it delivered to somebody's doorstep <laughs> with a note. You can write a note. You can sign it or not sign it anywhere in Louisville. So it could be a boss anywhere in Louisville. Could be your boss. Could be your ex-boss. Could be your ex 
partner, whatever. Is there a website to go on? For that? What's that? Is there, how do we order? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out on the Dear JCPS website once we get everything finalized. We're actually in the process of setting up our own pack and registering with KREF and all that kind of stuff um, because we're going to be, we got to play by their rules and with their tools. And uh, as soon as I raise or spend more than $100, I have to have every, all my ducks in a row. And I guess fortunately, unfortunately, I've never, well, I spend more than that on, on issues, like just making flyers and the gas money and all that. But when it comes to accepting donations for political causes and then turning around and spending money, like I said, grassroots and word of mouth is so effective. Like, I don't know if you remember in 2016, I'll give you a little more history real quick, um, when, De when Donna Hargens was still our superintendent. You remember that? Oh, and by the way, Mitch McConnell would love to get one of these. Rand Paul, Rand Paul needs a dozen of those every day, um, so he can make up more stories about how we're threatening to kill him. Um, so 2016, I got an email like that just two days ago that I said that at that October board meeting that we were saying uh, white people must die or something like that. Like. What, what do you hear? What did I say that makes you hear that? Like, I know I, sometimes I say, that's a racist bill, and I get accused of calling someone a racist. And I'm like, no, the fact that you still support that bill makes you a racist after I pointed out why it's racist, but I didn't ever call you that. That's your choice. <laughs> but then they go around and tell people. But that's just how they distort the truth and make people not want to support you. And we can overcome that. That's easy. So 2016, when Donna Hargens was our superintendent, um, we got rid of board members. Chris Kolb was the one that kept her in, in power. And, I mean, not Chris Kolb, I'm sorry, David Jones. And we, we promoted Chris Kolb, and even with no other endorsements than the Dear JCPS endorsement, we got Chris Kolb in office, and I didn't spend more than $100. I just made a graphic and shared it on our posts, and we, we did some door knocking and things like that. But we can do it with little money. We just gotta, we got to put the energy into it as well and, and keep it moving, keep, keep going. So, um, I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to Steve Harvey introduce you, man. Oh, heck yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Man, another round of applause for gay all the men freedom fighters in the house. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, real ally and comrade in the struggle here. Coming up to the stage next. I got my homies, Party for Socialism and Liberation. Uh, you want to give them a quick blurb on the party and then just uh, talking about abolishing the Supreme Court, y'all. So let's give a listen in here and uh, see what we're talking about. And, uh, so hi, y'all. As he introduced earlier, my name is Jer. I'm with the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Uh, we're a you know, explicitly socialist party that believes that, uh, sort of with the socialist sentiment, to e or from each according to their ability and to each according to their need. What I'll be talking about today is looking at the U.S. Uh, government structure and the Supreme Court and why it is fundamentally undemocratic. So let's sort of give some history here. On uh, June 24th of this year, the Supreme Court overturned the only federal protection of a women's democratic right to abortion. For the American people, this decision was shocking, considering at least 57% of people disagree with the Supreme Court, and at least 62% support abortion in all or most cases. On top of that, the Supreme Court is now calling into question Obergefell v. Hodges and Griswold v. Connecticut, challenging the right to marriage, 
and the right to contraceptives. In times like these, it's easy to succumb to passivity or trust in the democratic institutions the U.S. claims to have in place. But when the Supreme Court references ideas like constitutional values or the desires of the Founding Fathers, uh, we see the U.S. state isn't failing its democratic principles, it's defending the capitalist foundation the empire was built on. If we look at the Constitution, we see it was written and framed by just 55 white landowning men, a fraction of a fraction of the U.S. population in 1787 and a fraction of the fraction of the U.S. population today. The Constitution of the United States of America is the oldest constitution of its kind Western powers still use today. This decrepit and dying document has been artificially kept alive by the dictatorship of the capitalist class. As the codifying document laying out the structure of the U.S. state, the U.S. Constitution secured the rights of wealthy white slave owners living on colonized land and laid the groundwork for the anti-democratic empire we struggle against today. Most notably in this struggle is the fight against the U.S. Supreme Court, a body of six to ten elites elected by their fellow elites with lifetime appointments to the supreme uh, interpreters and guidance of the U.S. state's legal framework. Cloaked in the premise of checks and balances, uh, the Supreme Court has ensured that Congress upholds the constitutional values the slave traders who wrote the document envisioned. Mm. Throughout the U.S. state's history, the ruling class has fought to build a nation whose purpose is to protect the private property of wealthy elites. This began with the Three-Fifths Compromise and Article I, Section 9's laissez-faire capitalist approach to the slave trade limiting the taxation of the nation's most profitable industry at the time. Just six years after the Constitution's creation, Congress added the Fugitive Slave Clause in 1793 to further solidify the groundwork on which the empire of slavery would build its economy on. Of course, the empire wasn't able to build its slave economy without resistance from the people. With the rise of the American abolitionist movement in the mid-1800s, the slave-owning class needed assistance from the U.S. state to protect their class interests. This resulted in the Supreme Court's Dred Scott v. Sanford decision, the court's clearest ruling upholding the practice of slavery. In 1857, the Supreme Court ruled Dred Scott, a slave suing for his freedom, couldn't sue for his freedom because the U.S. state didn't consider him a citizen, but private property of another individual. He was not considered a citizen and therefore could not sue any court for his freedom. The decision went even further so as to assert that even free states must treat escaped slaves as private property and forcibly return escaped slaves to the people the U.S. state called owners, thus asserting slavery as the law of America. But despite the efforts of the slave-owning class, the abolitionist struggle continued to fight back uh, with efforts like John Brown's armed uprising at Harper's Ferry in West Virginia. Following the election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860, the slave-owning class soon realized its effort to extend their control of the slaveocracy were doomed to fail. This ultimately led to the Civil War in 1861, where southern states seceded from the Union and declared a new nation based on universal slavery. Following the defeat of the Confederacy and the passing of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, 
Hopes for a new reconstruction south, ensuring democracy and the economic well-being of millions of former slaves, began to emerge. The white ruling class had lost its monopoly on political power, and black political power began to make itself known. In Beaufort, South Carolina, a center of the plantation aristocracy, the mayor, the police force, and magistrates uh, in, um, uh, were all black in 1873. Bolivar County, uh, Mississippi, and St. John the Baptist Parish in Louisiana were under total black control, and Little Rock City Council had an on-and-off black majority. However, these hopes were systematically destroyed by two developments. First, the explosion of US capitalism, with powerful trusts and corporations emerging on the scene. And second, the northern political establishment, anxious to absorb the recently defeated slaveocracy into their ranks, crushing the Reconstruction era in 1877 and ushering in an era of Jim Crow apartheid and KKK terror. And who do we have to thank in our government for this counter-revolutionary assault but the US Supreme Court? By 1886, historian Howard Zinn, author of The People's History of the United States, writes the Supreme Court had accepted the argument that corporations were persons and their money and property were protected by the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. In fact, between 1868 and 1912, the Supreme Court based 604 decisions on the 14th Amendment. Of those 604, 312 dealt with corporations. 312. In the mere 28 that dealt with the rights of African Americans, the Supreme Court ruled against the African American appellant in 22 cases. 22 of 28, that's six cases where the Supreme Court barely stepped up to defend the rights of black Americans. In 1896, the Supreme Court ruled that, Ples or in the case of Plessy v. Ferguson, that separate but equal facilities for black riders on railroad cars were legal. Jim Crow had gotten its legal stamp of approval. In 1944, as continues into the 20th century, the Supreme Court even ruled in the case of Korematsu versus the United States that it was the constitutional right for the US president to sign an executive order rounding up 110,000 Americans and placing them in concentration camps. At this point, you're all probably asking yourselves, how is this possible? Uh, to answer this, we have to first remember what we said earlier about the uh, Supreme Court. It's a body of elites elected by elites whose job is to ensure Congress upholds constitutional values, a document which doesn't even contain the word democracy. With constitutional values in mind, it comes as no surprise that the US uh, Supreme Court enforces racist, classist, and sexist policies. The judges within the body were selected to do so. In order to reach the pinnacles of power, Supreme Court justices had to prove their loyalty to the ruling class. Most often, this means that their family and other ties to the ruling class must be extensive and tested. The first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Jay, who was appointed by George Washington in 1789, uh, demonstrated his allegiance to wealth and power uh, by birth and marriage. Jay was related to some of the wealthiest families in the United States even believed that those who ought, or those who own the country ought to govern it. He was a strong advocate of strict property uh, requirements for voting rights. 
After Jay retired, Washington then appointed John Rutledge from South Carolina. Rutledge was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention, uh, convention and was an adamant defender of slavery. His uh, nomination was uh, sort of turned down by the Senate, but he did serve a few months as Chief Justice. In the 20th century, returning to Franklin Roosevelt, he appointed Hugo Black as Supreme Court Justice. And let's learn a little bit about Hugo Black. In the 1920s, Black was a member of the KKK in Alabama. While he claimed that he was never an ideological adherent to the Klan, biographer Robert K. Newman notes that Black could not have had any illusions about the group he joined. Illegal Klan activities were part of daily life in Birmingham. The current Chief Justice, John G. Roberts, was appointed by George Bush in 2005, a Bush-type ideologue. He's on the record uh, saying he is against women's reproductive rights, affirmative action, and voting civil rights. Referring to the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973 legalizing abortion, he said that it was wrongly decided and should be overruled. But what, may, or what about the cases uh, brought before the courts that sort of ruled in favor of the masses? What makes the Supreme Court hand down a progressive decision as it has done on occasion? The Supreme Court rules in favor of the people when the ruling class fears that it must make concessions in order to maintain its overall position of domination in society. It has made such concessions in the face of mass movements in the United States, as well as in response to revolutionary developments around the world. In 1954, the Brown v. Board of Education ruling abolished the Plessy v. Ferguson separate but equal ruling, ordering the desegregation of schools in Topeka, Kansas. At the time, civil rights organizing was picking up momentum when the Chinese Revolution was inspiring decolonization struggles around the world. The US government feared losing more than just an end to separate but equal. But it wasn't the Supreme Court that dismantled the racist apartheid state that existed in the southern half of the United States. It was the explosion of the civil rights struggle, the largest mass movement in US history, which led Congress to pass the 1964 Civil Rights Act and the 1965 Voters' Rights Act. The adoption of affirmative action as a mechanism to remedy centuries of discrimination came during the tenure of the racist Nixon administration because that struggle continued to gain momentum in the streets and workplaces throughout the United States in the 1960s. It was the Supreme Court that began the process of undoing affirmative action with the 1978 Bakke decision, which claimed that white people were the victims of reverse discrimination no. When a previously all-white medical school allowed for even minimal guarantees of admissions for black students. The civil rights and black liberation movement had waned in the mid-1970s. Free from uh, mass pressure, the Supreme Court not only attacked affirmative action, but also restored the racist death penalty in 1976. The effect of the mass movement uh, on the court was evident when it came to abortion rights as well. The 1973 Roe v. Wade uh, ruling guaranteed women the right to control their own bodies and was made by a 7-2 vote during the Nixon administration. It was the sweeping radicalization and mass protest of the grassroots that made it possible. Notably, the chief justice at the time was a conservative Nixon uh, appointee, Warren Burger. 
Every election year, uh, many people sort of weigh in the possibility of what kind of Supreme Court justice a candidate might nominate if they had the chance. Really, the power of the president in making lifetime appointments to the most undemocratic body in US politics becomes a key component of the lesser of two evils argument that social Democrats use to corral voters into the Democratic Party. So what can we do to uh, fight against the Supreme Court's ruling? What is to be done? Namely, abolish capitalism. No mode of production based on extreme inequality and exploitation would be able to last long if it did not have ruling class or ruling institutions, political systems, ideas, traditions, and so on that protected and rationalized those economic processes. The ruling class does not just get to extract wealth, it also has to find stable rule, ways to rule. Forms of patriarchy operate powerfully at the base of capitalism and how the system, reproduce, or the system produces and reproduces itself on a daily basis. It also is a cornerstone at the superstructural level and in particular as a central element of the reactionary agenda. So how could patriarchy be ended under capitalism if it is so embedded at every level of the capitalist system? It's impossible. We must instead turn to socialism. Socialism, by contrast, eliminates the economic dependence on the family unit. Simply by changing who controls and who owns the vast means of production, every person can now be guaranteed housing, food, health care, child care, retirement and other human needs, uh, they could be uh, sort of won and gained overnight. A government in the hands of a class-conscious workers would also remove from power the lackeys of billionaire bigots and instead launch a bold initiative to advance women's equality and liberation in the world of culture, ideas, education, and politics. This is an ongoing process which the Party for Socialism and Liberation is currently struggling in. In Louisville right now, we're gathering signatures for a petition with six demands. The first being Metro Council pass an ordinance decriminalizing abortion and making Louisville a sanctuary city for those seeking or providing abortion care. The second is that Metro Council direct LMPD and all other legal entities to refuse to comply with or enforce any laws that would detain, arrest, fine, sanction, punish, or constrain those seeking uh, to provide abortion care. The third is that Metro Council fund the out-of-state travel for those seeking abortion care by establishing a renewable pool of funding. The fourth is that Metro Council ensures access to sexual and reproductive health care, including but not limited to education, prenatal care, free contraception, miscarriage management, IVF and IUI services, and STI testing and treatment. The fifth is that County Attorney Mike O'Connell refuse to prosecute anyone for providing or receiving abortion care. And the final sixth one is that Mayor Greg F uh, Fisher exercise his authority over LMPD to deprioritize to the lowest level any enforcement of abortion bans or restrictions. We also urge that everyone eligible to vote in Kentucky vote no on Amendment 2 on November 8th in this coming election. This amendment seeks to undermine the legal challenges for abortion and to prevent the right to an abortion from ever entering the Kentucky Constitution. But most importantly, we must organize ourselves and build the structure which will bring about socialism within our lifetime. Remember, only the struggle has won women's rights.
thank you for your time. My name is Taylor Ryan. I know we only got 10 minutes left. I'm not going to take them 10 minutes because we got another person that needs to speak to. Uh, I am the executive director and founder of Change Today, Change Tomorrow. Change Today, Change Tomorrow was founded in 2019 with my baby, with my baby on my hip. We was out here young and getting it. We didn't really have ish. I'm sorry, I know we're in the church. Uh, I heard we could cuss in here. Um, so pretty much poor black woman made something out of nothing. I have two master's degrees and nobody wanted to pay me more than $12 an hour for my great ideas. And so I was like, let me just see if I could start something somewhere else. And I started something on my own. It's called Change Today, Change Tomorrow. It actually stems from a class from my second master's program where we had to make a nonprofit, a fake nonprofit. And so I pretty much had the entire layout. I had a website already. And I was like, let me just see if I can make something out of this. So here we are today. Three and a half years later and still broke. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about it. How they keep giving all the other nonprofits all the money. Okay, so I know you all have heard the history lessons and all the things I'm here to tell you about what the people on the ground are doing to eliminate the barriers that plague the black and marginalized communities. So our mission is we are devoted to eradicating the barriers that plague the, mar the marginalizing black community, specifically in food justice and public health. That allows us to shape shift to the community's needs because we're not one nonprofit who does one thing and that's all we do and we just do it that one time of the year. No, we at work every day, except for Friday. We do not work Fridays, <laughs> period. So Monday through Thursday, I'm at 902 South 15th Street. It's 15th and Breckenridge, two blocks in front of St. Stephen's. If you're black, if you're white, it's down the street from Brown Foreman. <laughs> Everybody got the picture idea in their head now? You know where we are, all right. Um, so we got 10 different programs that we do throughout the year. Most of them are quarterly programs. We have a community baby shower. We do HIV and AIDS awareness. We have a black trans fund. Child, we, every Thursday we're downtown feeding the unhoused, a hot meal, cold meal, snack, and a bag of toiletries. It's our longest running program. Vincent said he used to help us with the truck. I don't remember because I don't do it all now. We got staff and volunteers and stuff. You know how to do it, though. Yeah, so we have a large partnership with the LRCC. We are down there every week, every Thursday evening between 4 and 7 p.m. We go downtown, serve three different sites, up to about 200 people in the summer, 100 people outside of the summer. So as you all know, we can't just keep dropping people off stuff and resources. So we have a long-tier goal plan from, one is direct service. That's what we're doing right now, dropping this off to people. Hey, what you need? All right, we got what you need. If we don't have what you need, we're going to get you connected to somebody else who can, do, who can do that. We are not trying to solve the world at all. Like We are just one person, a few people doing a lot. We have a really small budget and we're making a large impact. And so we ain't gonna make a new program just because you have a need, but we're gonna connect you with somebody else who can fulfill that need. Um, our largest program, most popular program is called Feed the West. It is not ran at Black Market. It is a Change Today, Change Tomorrow program. We run it Monday through Thursday. Monday through Wednesday, it is a delivery program. So we have a large partnership with Trader Joe's. Every morning we're going to Trader Joe's, picking up what they would be typically throwing away at their waste. Thousands of pounds in the city are being Thousands of pounds of food in the city are being thrown away every day by the grocery stores, every day. And so we're lucky to have two partners, Value Market and Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is our largest partner. We're picking up every day, Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and rerouting those groceries back to our office. So about 40 to 60 boxes of groceries every morning come back to our office. We sort them, pull out the bag. Some things are expired, put that out, and then pre-bag groceries for people who have their requests in. So our requests per day, they vary based on people's needs. 
Um, we give bags out based on the household size, and we don't have restrictions. So at Change Today, Change Tomorrow, you never have to show me how poor you are. It's not my business. I've dropped off groceries to mansions. I've dropped, dropped off groceries to the porch. You know, like, it really don't matter to me what your living situation is. It matters, but not in a way of, like, show me how poor you are. Like, we got work to do, honey. If you need free groceries, you obviously need free groceries. If your house is big, that means your bills is big, okay? So you probably need some help with some food. Um, so on Thursdays, outside of deliveries, we are doing a pop-up right outside of our business, 902 South 15th. We are serving the California neighborhood. Um, anybody and everybody is welcome to come to the pop-up. Again, no restrictions. You line up. People start lining up around 10 a.m. The pop-up is not until noon. You do not have to pull up at 10, but you know, because the nonprofit industrial complex that we have been navigating, people are getting to places early so they can get served. We're serving everybody. We don't run out. If we do run out, we're just going to buy some more food. Um, we have a large partnership with DoorDash, and so every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, DoorDash is picking up our groceries for free, and they're delivering them to our residents for free. Because we are a very small organization, we have to know, you know, have to, we have to be resourceful. We don't have a lot of money to spend, and so we're picking up Trader Joe's groceries for free, taking them back to our office, resorting them, putting them back out, DoorDash is delivering them for free. Again, don't have much money. A lot of times I haven't taken a paycheck this year. I don't know any other nonprofit CEO doing that in this city. They would just fire somebody instead. But instead, I would not take a paycheck, and so my staff can't get paid. And so just here to highlight that, I know a lot of people talk about anti-capitalism and things. Like, we're not here to raise a million dollars and give the CEO a bonus. We're here to raise a million dollars and give that back out to the community. It's not sustainable, but that's what the work we're doing. It's called mutual aid, okay? Um, then the next time, we're going to prioritize black women and let us talk first. Cause some people don't live. You know, I'm just saying. Some people don't live. You feel me? Okay. Um, I ain't gonna speak. Like I said, I'm not gonna speak too much because we still have another speaker to speak, and I want to get let her have her time. She needs to be uh, highlighted and uplifted. Is she gone? Oh well. Shout out to Amber, y'all. If you ever met Amber, yo, shout out to her. I ain't gonna sit here and speak for her, but like, shout out to her, look her up. So yeah, shout out to Chalk It Up. Make sure you link with Amber. We actually have a conversation going on. Um, we have an event next Saturday, this Saturday? Next Saturday, because today is Saturday. October 15th, so um, it's at the Filson Historical Society. It is very fancy, okay? We had to make the white folks comfortable, all right? All right. <laughs> And so it is an annual fundraiser that we are trying to raise lots of money like the other fancy nonprofits in the city. So come out. We have a sponsor uh, bar by Heaven Hill. Everybody going to get drinks. So, if, you know, you get a little drink and you get your, you get your pocket a little loose. Donate a little money. And so 630 is when the doors open. We'll have a silent auction. We'll have an art gallery. We'll have live art. We'll have a spoken word. It'll be an all around, you know, dope evening. Two free cocktails, appetizers, dinner. That is on October 15th, 630 at the Filson. Also, starting on Monday, we are in a grant competition, and so I'm going to send out a link. I'm sure, I, I feel like some of y'all are already on our mailing list, but a link will go out starting Monday all the way through Saturday. We need y'all to vote, vote, vote for Change Today, Change Tomorrow. We're in the top 20 of a grant competition for $15,000, and so I got the QR code on my phone if you want me to go around and scan it if you don't even know about Change Today, Change Tomorrow. I don't have else to say because it starts on Monday. They just emailed me yesterday. It starts on Monday. I wish it would have been a great call to action to vote today, but if I give you the QR code, at least it'd be in your phone. And uh, on Monday, throughout the week, you can vote. Anything else you want me to plug? Anything else? Now you got it.
Right. I'm gonna say I don't know what else you want me to say because I ain't trying to be long winded and things. We're doing a lot of work with a lot with no money. So donate if you go if you donate to the larger organizations, make sure you donate to the smaller organizations. We're serving 300 people per week. Per week, there's a lot of people that's getting a million dollars that are not serving 300 people per week. That's all I need to say. Taylor Ryan. I just want to do one real quick. Thank y'all so much for your time. Um, my name is Jessica Bellamy. I'm with the Louisville Tennis Union and the Historically Black Neighborhood Assembly. I wanted to shout out an event from a, a sister organization. New Direction Tennis Union is doing a rally on Tuesday at 10 a.m. at Shepherd's Park. They have the, Those residents at New Directions have been pushing back against management. All kinds of issues have come back since they've been speaking out, including retaliation against different residents trying to evict them. Uh, and so we're all standing together on Tuesday at 10 a.m. Uh, at, at Shepherd Park. Um, it's it's going to be a great turnout. Please come and support if you can. It's all about uh, getting a fair lease, a lease that will not only protect people now, but people in the future. We're hoping to get fair leases all over this whole damn city. So, thank you. How we live in Radio Land. But we got to put it on here. We're going to do this like we do the uh, radio show. We're going to do a live spot, talk about community control. And uh, you want to, like, get in here? We'll just shoot it like a show here. All right. We're going to share this video. We're going you gotta get back in it. Yeah, you wanna get on the mic? Yeah, this is how we get on the radio. We're gonna do like how we do the show. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. 106.5 WFMP, this is Community Control Now. This show seeking democratic community control of public institutions with a particular interest in the U.S. policing apparatus. I'm your co host, Vincent Gonzalez. Trying to make a dollar out of 15 cent. Michael T, man, say what's up to the people. What's up? Hey. <laughs> Community Control Now seeks to end the rampant abuses by the state, which greatly hard target persons of color in the economically disadvantaged. Community Control Now believes in all power to all oppressed people all over the world. For today's show, we're talking about the eight-point plan. What is it? Why do we need it? And how do we win it in this town? So without any further ado, we're going to get into the show here. How we feeling here? Vegan breakfast. Yeah, good stuff here, man. Heard from a lot of dope things, man. Shout out to the homies PSL putting on Abolish the Supreme Court. Man, this is what community looks like, man. We all come together, break some bread, and we just going to keep the vibes going, man. So um, we hope this to be one of many uh, occasions where we can come together. Uh, shout out to Taylor Ryan, Chalk It Up came through, everybody else, um, it's Hollywood, you know, so win some, lose some, but this is good, man, this is all a win, man, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, and my community showed up in a lot of different ways, man, Mike, what was that food talking about, man? The food was delicious. Okay, yeah, that's good, well, I'll take it, I'll take it, but, um, so, we're here now to discuss our campaign, community control of the police. Uh, the onus of this, I would say, started with the Breonna Taylor uprisings of 2020. 
Um, you know, shout out to everybody that was in the streets holding it down. Um, I think one of the main things I, I linked up, small bit of my background here. I've been doing social justice work since I was about 15 years old in this town. I'm 35, uh, off and on, mostly off. Uh, but I think like I, I look at that sort of life as like pre and post uh, Breonna Taylor uprising. So after that, you know, it's like promises made. Went to jail for this, just beat the charges. And it was like promises made. Like if we don't fundamentally gain some form of power, and change this system at its root, man, it'll be like what they did to Brianna, they'll, they'll continue to do to more people. So it's like we have an onus and obligation to stand up and fight against these oppressive systems. Uh, so shout out, do you want to talk about how like how we got a hold of the community control now plan or you want to give it a breakdown or is that, are you putting it on me? What's up? <laughs> well, uh, I, I did want to actually, uh, talk about um, the whole role of the police, which is an important struggle, along with all the other struggles that were mentioned here. I'm glad to hear about some of them. You know, some of it was uh, educational for me, you know, having been here in Louisville a few years, uh, that we got these good mutual aid programs. That's so critical. And it reminds me, when I was in the Panther Party, we had survival programs, of which I see, you know, these mutual aid programs are continuing that tradition, which goes back like a couple of hundred years. Even here in Louisville, I found out you know, there were mutual aid programs. Uh, I think uh, Jessica pointed it out to me, and uh, I think I did add that to the play too, uh, Jessica. Yes, uh, more needs to be said, and uh, maybe you can give me some more information about that, because I think those things are important to know, you know that we've had those mutual um, aid um, programs because as gay, is she still here? No, she's gone. Okay, she pointed out we're facing real fascism. So, segueing into uh, that whole notion of fascism, you know, uh, there's a, a, a view that says actually fascism started not in Germany with Hitler or Mussolini and any of that, but in the colonial period of America. It wasn't called fascism, you know, they called it slavery and a bunch of other things, but um, you know, when we look at the whole notion of fascism and what it meant even in the mid 20th century, you know, the enslavement of uh, Jewish people and the extermination, all of that was happening in colonial America in the, what, 15th? Well, actually, first settlement started in the 16th century, you know, all the way up until um, today. So, when we look at fascism, we look at colonial, the roots of that in colonial America. Anything that happened afterwards was actually building on what um, had already happened in colonial America and in other places. And part of that type of fascism, called slavery, were police, were um, patrols slave patrols. That was the beginning of policing in the United States or what would become the United States. And so when we talk about policing, 
which is one of the ways and the reasons why community control now began was to try to get a grip on that apparatus of policing is because it started off on the wrong foot. You know, we can't reform the police. We've got to abolish policing as we know it. And that's one of the principal uh, tenets of community control now. Uh, and again, you know, those things started, uh, the policing started with the slave patrols. Um, same time, uh, there was the suppression of the indigenous uprisings. It wasn't to maintain law and order. Of course, you know, maintaining law and order is an important function of any state. But, you know, in the United States context, it was about suppressing slave uprisings and suppressing the indigenous uprisings. Now, of course, as time went on, their functions expanded. You know, uh, they had the task of suppressing labor struggles. Um, we uh, eventually attended a, a talk by Dan Cannon, is that his name? Dan Cannon, yeah. Over right mm -hmm. up here at the library, who wrote a book on plea bargaining, in which he points out that in the 1800s, the 19th century, uh, one of the concerns of the ruling class um, in suppressing all of the constituencies or uh, forces that they needed to suppress was finding an excuse to lock people up, which meant you had to write laws that people would violate or easily violate, so you'd have an excuse to lock them up. I think it was something like uh, in the first 30 years of the 20th century, about um, a few thousand statutes were written purely like a lot of the public nuisance stuff. Uh, basically, they criminalized being a worker. They made it illegal to organize in so many ways. So it's like we're kind of standing in that uh, ground currently. And what we're seeing, um, also to touch on, you were familiar with this in your time, COINTELPRO, the use of uh, suppressing any sort of black liberation dissent. Um, Stonewall riots, mm -hmm. what they did there. So, you know, um, this this illustrious history, oh, uh, well, you know, put quotations on Mark mm -hmm. there, but notorious, <clears throat> notorious history of the other side of the gun and who's on it. Mm -hmm. And when we see that, um, we could put it all together. There's, there's a lot of propaganda around who the good guys are, who's fighting for the side of truth and justice. And um, we're just hoping that with community control, we can gain the kind of balance of scales in, in its own way. Yes, and I think, again, you know, it's getting late, uh, but we've got to understand that we are in a class struggle. Now, that class struggle includes a lot of different social contradictions, but Within that class struggle, we have uh, black people who are selling us out. You know, I mean, in spite of the unprecedented uprisings that occurred in 2020 and afterwards, and we were talking about this earlier, um, there has been, and we've got to understand this, there's been a trend 
to suppress all of that and make sure that never happens again, since that was an unprecedented uprising. I talk to Vincent all the time about you know growing up in the 60s and seeing all those uprisings. This was bigger in 2020. But it wasn't apparently as organized. Greater numbers, but uh, because of a lack of organization, and a lot of the, the uprising was spontaneous, um, it wasn't guided by any kind of principles. So it's been easy to co-opt it and redirect it, you know, into you know being just another part of you know feeding the yeah. nonprofit industrial yeah. complex. And, and, they'll, and they'll break us off in many different ways. Um, one of the victories that are purported in terms of uh, the time after 2020 in this town, uh, they gave a, a somewhat of a revision of the. Um, what was termed as the Civilian Accountability Police Board. Um, I was on it for a little bit in 2013, and I akin it to all but a book report. You know, you review a officer misconduct, mm -hmm. not a lot of them. Anytime an officer uses his gun, you, you review it, give your recommendations, and our studio audience can put two and two together about what they did with those recommendations. They didn't have any legal power to them. And you see this sort of trend uh, when some sort of like organic groundswell comes from people who are bucking against these uh, oppressive systems. Many times um, they'll co-opt it, give you some sort of reforms and say, we're done here. Uh, we find that to be untruthful and, and harmful in so many ways. Yeah. So community control is sort of our perspective of trying to gain some form of uh, liberation, self-determination for the people most aggrieved by these systems. Mm -hmm. So community control now, which was actually um, the Panthers were one of the first organizations to uh, speak on this. We got the plan. You gave me the plan. That's what I was trying to get hit at earlier. You gave me the plan from uh, Frank Chapman and the Chicago Alliance. Uh, this is about a couple years ago when I first met you. And um, they've won some gains on democratic control of the police in Chicago. Uh, it's being stonewalled by the current mayor, but it took them about 12 years. And so this isn't some pie in the sky sort of thing that we speak on. This is like real and material. We organize and put our best foot forward. This is um, a thing. We can gain this thing, but also you look around here, man, LAPD eat your heart out. Like might be one of the most uh, brutality-based police systems in the country. Uh, so it almost, it, it, it would be an apparent need. We need some form of control, man. We have to rein in this thing before they harm other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to say that, you know, when we talk about community control, we see that as a transitional piece towards abolition. Ultimately, policing as we know it has got to be dismantled. Of course, we know there are questions of public safety, you know, being realistic. You know, that's why we can't abolish it right now. And um, and ultimately, we have to address those safety 
and uh, public concerns. I mean, we know that class society and capitalism has created a lot of anti-human and anti-social behavior that won't disappear just because socialists or any kind of revolutionary group takes power. Um, so we know ultimately we've got to end the rule of capital. But there's a transition, there's a process that we have to go through. And part of that is recognizing and, and, and making sure people understand the role of the police, what policing must be for, you know, public safety as opposed to public suppression. And um, also, going back to that class struggle, that there are black people masquerading as leaders who are making us settle for less. Like, if we just get a few more black policemen on the force, or if we tweak around the edges, or, you know, or this weak community review board that has no subpoena power, or anything that can change fundamentally the system, just changing the complexion of the system in any department. It's not going to change the system. The policies and the practices have to be changed. And just putting black faces or brown faces or red faces in these positions won't fundamentally change things. And we've got black leaders because of their own self-interest, and this has got to be said, right, who are willing to settle for less. And they're selling us out. They've sold, in many cases, the movement out since, the to since 2020. You know, I mean, a lot of us old heads, you know, we, we saw 2020, boy, this is liberation at hand. Yeah. You know, at least, you know, another big leap in the struggle. And, um, and we were very elated, but we should have known that the system, without organization and a clear sense of purpose, has always managed to redirect that, yeah. throw some money at it, pop up some leaders who will tell you otherwise, and business continues on so, as usual. So, so in so many ways, this is a story of power and who holds it. Shout out to Root Cause for teaching us that, but um, the resources and how they're carried out in this current malaise that we find ourselves in, it, you know, we know that power can seize nothing without a demand. So, you know, sunlight being the best disinfectant, we're hoping to put together this thing and the, you know, the, the main onus of it is uh, that we all hold it together. You know, those that are most aggrieved by this system should have the final say so in how they and you know, and how their lives are treated. So we're talking, you know, all those sweet little nothings they whispered in the Constitution, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's what we're speaking on currently here. So we've couched community control as we see it into an eight-point plan. And the eight-point plan goes as such. Number one, we want a direct, a direct election of a, a civilian county board. The current system that we have in town here is uh, you uh, write a query to the mayor. He selects you. I got on actually originally I got on. I, I said I was a Republican because, you know, how they like to reach across the aisle and stuff. <laughs> so they let me get on here. So I got I got first ballot Hall of Famer there. They, they put me right in. Um, so 
we want to we want to take that out of his hands. We, we ask for a nominal election, um, no more than a couple hundred, just to take the powers um, out of the ruling class of this town's hands. Number two, we're asking for budget and policy oversight. All right, don't play cute with us. Do one of your backroom deals at the tap room and all of that. We want to see everything that's going on. Decoupling the budget. Learn this about uh, from No LMPD. Shout out to them. Uh, this town, all the little cute tricks that they do, man. The more you learn about this, the way the way things are structured here, man, it, it'll it'll give you a sense of ire in a way. Um, they place the LMPD budget all coupled together with other metro services, so it's in there with the zoo and uh, yeah, what's that? Libraries. Libraries, and and we know these things to be completely separate episodes of Charles in Charge, but they, you know, they play it real cute with us. They, they, I don't know if they assume we don't know or whatever it is, but we on to them. We got their cap. Number three, we want subpoena power. You're going to have to raise your right hand and talk into the microphone here. Ain't going to be no internal investigation. My guys down at the precinct got it. No, we're done with that. Subpoena power. This is how true power is held in so many ways. The ability to hire and fire. Well, mostly we're focusing in on the fire. The ability to fire any officer through the misconduct. This is this uh, review board that we're wanting here. All right, run down the rest of the list here. Open investigations, all right? It's that sunlight being a disinfected here. And we also want to expand the investigations. When I started doing my research and seeing all the different things, many forms of sexual assault allegations are not considered uh, worthy of any further review and just so many other things. Um, open FOP contracts. You got to run that by us before you, you know, cut a deal with your cartel. We're not, you know, we, we're talking about power and who really holds it. And then our last demand here is uh, no Leos, no law enforcement officers on this board. I think we've seen enough. All right. We're talking about power to the people. And um, so all those things held. This was, um, oh my bad, that's, a, that's my alarm here. We can go ahead and wrap this up, man. This, this, uh, this breakfast, and man, love to everybody who came out and um, shared in this time, man. I hope that like everybody was here that we, we picked up a thing or two from each other and um, couldn't have did this without my community, but we hope this to be like more of many. Man, I put the rest of my life on this, you know, like this is what I'm gonna do. So you'll see more of me as we get into this. And we hope to just grow this thing out, man. We're going to hit the ground, organize, and um, let the games begin, as they say here. So um, we can parlay in the back, sign-in sheets, whatever, um, talk about how we can win this thing over. You got any final thoughts here before we roll out? Think you said it all, my brother. <laughs> That's what's up. So, um, final shout outs. How we how we break the show down at the end here. You know how we do it. It's supposed to be like a show, yeah. Yeah, what are you doing, man? How you you got anything to say? Yeah, you know how we typically do it, man. Yeah, so Okay.
Shout out to all the political prisoners. Mm -hmm. uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, brother's been in prison for over 40 years. He was a stalwart in Philly. I had the opportunity of meeting him a few times. And uh, righteous brother, we got to get him out of jail. Leonard Peltier and so many others. Julian Assange. Uh, Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner. We haven't heard anything about that recently. I mean, all this talk about Ukraine and the Russians. No talk. And notice a lot of our black leaders, where are they at? You know, free Brittany Griner. They don't care about that? Or is that they care more about appeasing Biden because they're so tied into the Biden administration as our saviors and they're allowing her to be used as a pawn in geopolitics, you know, in this uh, proxy war. So she has to be the fall person. And very few, I've heard almost no so-called black leaders say anything about it. And all political prisoners out here, man, everybody fighting in the struggle, we ain't forgot about y'all. And we're gonna keep this fight going, all right? Community Control Now signing off. And that's going to wrap up our special live broadcast from First Unitarian Church here on South 4th Street. We are right next to the Ford Radio Studios, and it has been such a pleasure to bring you this special live broadcast of the first ever Community Control Now event, public event with this awesome vegan lunch. Thank you so much to Vincent Gonzalez and Michael T making this happen thanks to all of our community partners gay Alleman running for jcps district 4 school board our friends from party for socialism and liberation psl on abolishing the supreme court change today change tomorrow you guys have been great thanks for tuning in next up here on forward radio we're gonna take you back to the studio for counterspin coming up at two but stay tuned later in the day. Ford Radio is going to be live broadcasting and having a booth out at the amazing Garvin Gate Blues Festival that started at 1 and goes through 11 p.m. tonight. You can learn more about the lineup at GarvinGateBluesFestival.com or you can check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Hashtag We've Got the Blues. We are so excited to be live broadcasting later today from the Garvin Gate Blues Festival. Come on out to Oak Street at 5th. And uh, we are going to be talking to some of the performers and some of the 40 vendors at the festival. There's food and drink available for purchase. We want to see you there. So join us out on Oak Street here in later in the afternoon. And this has been me, Justin Mogg, signing off from the Community Control Now Vegan Breakfast Teach-In here at the First Unitarian Church. And we're going to take you back to the studio right now.